Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Hello and welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is three-time World Ironman champion and two-time Ironman 70.3 world champion, Craig Alexander. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Brenton. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on the, the podcast. I mean, I've seen your your name. I've seen you about for the last uh, decade plus that I've followed triathlon. And uh, you've been an athlete for, for a very long time and uh, also a coach for, for a long time too. And you just got back from the US from a, a training camp over there. And we're talking off air about your somewhat forced or encouraged retirement due to the pandemic. You were 46 years of age in 2019 and you were still competing and racing at the professional level, which is, which is incredible. And you're still looking to, to keep going, but that was, that was sort of forced to stop due to the pandemic. What, do you want to talk a bit about that and how that all came about and where you were physically and racing-wise in 2019? Yeah, well, I mean, I was in my mid-40s. I was still very competitive racing 70.3 races or half Ironmans and also Olympic distance. I stepped back from the Ironman racing almost 10 years ago now. So for a number of reasons, I just wanted to be able to spend more time. I had young young children, so I thought I could spend more time with them. You know, I'd scratched the itch, the Ironman itch, I guess, is, is one way of putting it. I, it was my goal and my dream to race in Hawaii, and I'd fulfilled that dream. And I was getting to the point in life where yeah, other opportunities were coming along and but I still wasn't yet finished with, with the racing. You know, I still was a competitive person. I still am, I think, to this day. I loved challenging myself physically and training each day. I loved setting some racing goals each season. So, you know, when I stepped back from the Ironman racing, I didn't feel there's any need to, to stop racing completely. I still had a, a real passion for racing at the highest level and racing the best athletes. So, you know, in 2019, my season looked like a lot of those previous seasons looked, which was not too much racing. I'd usually pick five or six races each year that fit in with our family schedule, races that I knew would have a really competitive field and just races that I wanted to do. I guess one of the benefits of being in a sport and being a pro athlete for 27 years is you have such a huge foundation of fitness. Your aerobic base is, is enormous. So I was able off, you know, just 15 or 20 really targeted training hours per week to, to still be competitive. And I was just enjoying it more than ever, to be honest. That's the reason I was still doing it. I didn't really feel I had anything else to prove. I wasn't, you know, the, the, the sole purpose that I kept racing you know, deep into my 40s was just the love of it. So I didn't see any real reason to stop. But as you mentioned, when the pandemic hit, it sort of forced a, a reset upon the whole world. And a lot of things shut down, not just endurance sports, but our events shut down overnight. There was no certainty when they were going to come back. You know, we went into a period of lockdown here in Sydney, like I know a lot of places around the world did. We were homeschooling the kids and I kept training each day just for my own mental health, I think. And just because it was part of my routine, it'd been part of my daily routine for nearly three decades. So I didn't see, see any real reason to change that. I just, you know, a morning session adds a lot to my day. I really loved getting up in the morning and, and getting something done before breakfast. So I, I tried to keep that going through the pandemic. But yeah, all the racing aspirations sort of took a backseat at that point and you know, at some stage they were going, I was going to have to evaluate what I was doing year to year anyway. I mean, I know Cameron Brown still raced into his 50s. It wasn't like I had set myself any goals along those lines or anything. I just, as I said, it was a year to year proposition with me. I still loved it, but the, the pandemic forced me to sort of evaluate the things I was doing and kept up with the training, but the, ra the racing sort of just fell by the by. You mentioned that you were doing it for the love of it. If you think back to your early career, were, were there different 
motivations there compared to later in your career? Not really. You know, I think that the real driving force behind all the habits that I developed and the things that I achieved was just a, a simple desire or a simple commitment to get the most out of myself as an athlete. That's, that's how it really started for me. And I guess that came off the back of not having been an endurance athlete as a kid, I played other sports, mainly soccer. I played soccer until I was 20 and that was my main sport. My first sporting dream was to be a professional footballer. And I just, for one reason or another, didn't fulfill that dream. And usually when you don't fulfill a sporting dream, it's, there can be a lot of reasons. The main one is that you, you weren't good enough on the days that you needed to be. And I think what I took out of my early soccer career and my early sporting life was that you needed to be resilient. You know, I, I saw a lot of soccer players who went on to great things just because they kept hanging in there when the going got tough. And, you know, I think going into my triathlon career, that was the really the only sort of idea I had in my head was just to be a little more resilient than I'd been as a soccer player. So the motivation was just to get the most out of myself and hang in there when the going got tough, which it does, as you know, in sport it does. And, and I think when we're young, as athletes, when we're younger, we, we look to the people who are you know, at the forefront of our sport and other sports, these great champions, male and female, and we just think that they've always been that way, that they've always been either naturally gifted or been winning races, being the first picked in every team. And when you get older and a little more perspective and you dig a little deeper, you see that every sporting journey, it's you know, a big part of success is resilience and just hanging in there. So for me, the only motivation coming into triathlon was just get the most out of myself every day as an athlete and just hang in there and be resilient. I think obviously as we get older and we change as people, motivation can change. Certainly later in my career, when I was married and had kids, I was very motivated by what my family had sacrificed for me to be able to do what I love to do every day. So I drew on that pretty much daily, the sacrifices, you know, my wife had put her career on hold so that we could relocate to the Northern hemisphere for six months of the year. My oldest daughter was being homeschooled at the time, particularly later in my Ironman career when we were based in Boulder, Colorado, and that was tough for her. She was very social, so being out of school, out of that sort of social setting was hard for her. So, you know, I saw the, the sacrifices that my family made for me, so it was easy for me to really to push through every day when the training got hard or when, when things got tough. And on race day as well, I drew on those, those memories and those thoughts to to keep me on task and to push on and to push through. So, yeah, I, I definitely think as I got older as an athlete and more mature, my motivations became more centred around the family. But throughout my whole career, I, just a simple driving force I had was just to get the most out of myself. I think that's one of the greatest drivers of all because that's very much driven from within and you haven't got external forces trying to motivate you or encourage you if it, if it comes from within you can keep it going for a long time which you've proved and and, and i think that's where it, where it really needs to come from you're talking about how you've got to be resilient you've got to persist with things and i think that's what a good coach can see in other people it's you know when i think of some of the athletes that i've coached or when i've been or the coaches that i've had they can see one two three five years ahead and they can see mm. the the potential that you've got and a lot of times the athlete can't see that in themselves because maybe they don't have the the experience to know where they can go or they haven't had enough exposure to other people who have been like them who have gone on to to great things and i, I think that's what a good coach can do is they can show that pathway and they can show that yeah, you might be right where you need to be right now 
in order to achieve that thing that you want to do in five years. And it's possible, you know, we've seen it and I can see, I can see you doing that. You've obviously made that transition or that very, that slow transition from purely athlete to coach and, and working with others. What's that transition been like for you to step onto the other side of things and be the one sort of sharing your knowledge and your wisdom and, and, and trying to, I guess, inspire others or, or show them what potential they have? It's, a, it's, it's an interesting transition because I think you're 100% right. Sometimes in, as an athlete, you, you can't see the forest for the trees. You're so immersed in right now what you're doing, this session, this next main set, and the things that you have to check off your list. Whereas the, the coach and the people around you often are mindful of that, but also how it works in with the bigger picture. So, and by definition, I think a lot of the great athletes can really immerse themselves in what they're doing at that moment and get the, get the most out of themselves. You know, I, I was coaching before the pandemic and, and now a lot of our coaching business, I, I travel to the training camps we run and yeah, it's an interesting transition because I think you're right, you, you can see different qualities in different athletes. And I, I think what a, a really good coach is, is someone who brings a lot to the table, not only knows the sport well and, and the things you need to do to improve over time and also right now what's the most urgent thing that we we need to focus on as an athlete to improve but the, you know they're great communicators they get to they're also sort of amateur psychologists you know they get to know their athletes very well what lights each person's fire is a little bit different how you communicate with different people's is a little bit different it's a, it's a huge learning curve i think overseeing your own, own career and i was self-coached for a large part of my own career only because you know, when I started in the sport of triathlon, it was, a, it was a completely different landscape to now. There's a lot more coaches around now and, you know, it's an Olympic sport now. So there's different pathway programs and access to coaching. It wasn't sort of the case when I started. So it was quite hard to get, get coaching. So I, I think that one of the great evolutions of our sport has been just the influx of knowledge and great coaches into the sport and the development of great coaches. Because I think, you know, that knowledge base, obviously, infiltrates down into the athletes and the end result is just a higher level of performance for the athletes so i think it's a it's a tough transition you know i just think because you've won a race or two it doesn't automatically qualify you to be a great coach there's so much more that goes into it and my role in our coaching business now i don't work with too many athletes day to day i work with a lot of our coaches and i'm at a lot of the camps and training experiences so i'm when we do those they're usually three five or seven day experiences that we have with athletes in different parts of the world and and so you're with the athletes 24-7, living with them, training together, sharing knowledge. So it's an interesting transition. I think you know, part of me wishes that I had have had a coach earlier in my career because you just see the benefits they bring to the table. And yeah, I'm not the sort of person who looks back and has regrets about I should have done this or I should have done that. I think one thing I can say about my career is I was never scared to ask for help. I, and I got in the help that I could. I, I knew my my areas of strength, but also my, my weak points. And I, and I always sought to, to get help across the board with all performance areas. So yeah, it's not like I sit around and have regrets about I should have done this or I should have done that. But I, I do see the benefits of just having great coaches and mentors in, involved with, with athletes and particularly young athletes. You know, I think coaches and mentors bring so much to the table. Mm. And did you have a particular mantra or piece of advice that you'd gotten from a coach or you'd come across that you kept close to your heart during your career? Is there something that's been this thread throughout your career that you've uh, used as your philosophy or your way of approaching things as you've gone through this triathlon journey? Yeah, there's, there's been a few things. So one piece of advice I got 
And I got up early in my Ironman career, actually, I just stepped up in distance to do Ironman for the first time. And it was just a casual conversation I was having with a lady called Paula Newby Fraser, who won Hawaii eight times, was one of the all-time great triathletes, and was still working in and around triathlon in media and, and doing other things. And she just said to me, you know, something she used to ask herself in training every day and also multiple times throughout all her races is, what can I do right now? What can I do right now to improve my situation? I think, I think that's, a good, that's a good mantra because sometimes we get overwhelmed with the gravity of the task at hand or the length of the race we're about to undertake or if we're, you know, we arrive at the pool and we've got a set of 2400s to do. The enormity of it can be overwhelming. So it's good to break it down and, and you know, into little bite-sized pieces. I always found that, you know, asking that question, what, what can I do right now? What's, what's my immediate focus in the next... 30 seconds, the next 60 seconds, the next five minutes. What are the things I really need to be focusing on? So that's something that helped me a lot. And I had a couple of really old school swim coaches, both Olympians, had a huge impact on, on my career and my life. And, you know, one used to say, there's no time like the present. You know, if you're thinking about changing your swim stroke or changing your training or, you know, there's, there's no time like the present. Why put off doing things that we can we can start working on right now and another one used to say don't quit before the magic happens you know it's it's a long journey nobody becomes a world champion overnight and there's going to be it's i mean i guess it's an analogy i like you know an endurance sporting career it's like investing in the stock market you know there's going to be peaks and troughs you've got to be you've got to be good enough and lucky enough to be able to ride the waves when they come along and but you've also got to be robust enough and durable enough to ride out the storms when they come along so so you're still around when the next wave comes. So, you know, you, you just have to hang in there. You know, this, this coach used to always say to me, you know, when, when things get really, really difficult, that's usually when, you, when you're on the cusp of something really special, either a, a little leveling up in performance or a performance breakthrough. So, yeah, you can't quit before the magic happens. You've got you to hang in there. So I, I think they're good mantras to have. I just think a lot of the things we do in life, whether it's education, academic, sport, business, whatever, they're long journeys. You don't ascend to the great heights overnight i mean the great proponents in, in all those arenas will, will you know will tell us that so i think by virtue of the fact it's a long journey you just understand there's going to be a lot of low points so you got to you got to be able to ride them out one great lesson i also learned is to surround yourself with good people have the best people around you and that starts at home it starts at home with your family um and your partners husbands wives um, parents you know you got to have great people around you and that extends in sport to your training partners your coaches so you know, having people around you to share the journey when it's great, but also to, to, you know, help you take some of the lumps when it's not so great, I think is a good lesson. Yeah. One of the things you, you mentioned there was just about what can I do in this, this moment? And one thing I got sort of came across a couple of years ago, it's about being in the moment where nothing in your past exists, nothing in the future exists. It's just this moment right now that we've actually got. And if you can make the most of that, whether that's through, having that presence there where you're not distracted by your phone you're not thinking about the future where you're just really in the present moment that's where you actually have the power because nothing outside of that exists now i think there's a certain truth to, to that obviously we want to be planning for the future and making good decisions for our future but the, the only thing you can do right now is is what's in the moment and I think that applies particularly in training or if you've got to make a split decision in a race as well, it's like, well, don't worry what's going to happen 10K down the road on the run. It's like, well, what can you do right now? Have there been any 
split decision moments in a race that come to mind where you've had to make a certain choice to you know, that, that's played out in a certain way in a race? Is there any sort of moments throughout uh, important races in your career where you've had that that split decision or you know, anything like that that comes to mind? Yeah, there's there's been a few. I mean, races, I guess every race is different, but there's always moments and opportunities in each race where you have to make decisions. And I know in 2010 in Kona on the bike course, I made a decision not to go with a break just because I thought at that moment, tactically, it was the wrong decision, but it would have been the right decision. Actually staying where I was was the wrong decision. So yeah, there's those, those, but you know what, you look back on those moments and not with regret, they're more like learning moments, I guess, because at the time I, I felt it was the right decision because I'd made decisions both ways previous to that and some work out, some don't, as you know. So I think there's moments in all races where you, especially those longer races, there can be a hundred moments in a race where you have to make a decision. And often, often they're not split second, particularly the longer races. You, you know the moment's coming and you, have, you give a bit of thought to it. And, you know, with experience, you, you hope that you pull the right rein. But there's a lot of dynamics that go on in races. You know, at, at that race in 2010, I had one cone of the two previous years. So I was a heavily watched athlete in that race. And that changes the dynamic a little bit. And that played into, I guess, the way the race ended up panning out. So there's always different dynamics. Every year is a different year. And, and I think that's why we do so much preparation, not only physical, but mental as athletes, because, you know, you're preparing yourself for those moments and making the right decisions. And, you know, I think they call it in, in sport now, mental contrasting or, or visualization where you envisage certain moments in a race where you're um, presented with a few scenarios and you have to make a decision. And, and I used to practice that in training all the time. You know, I could I could easily be at home here in Sydney running in the National Park and just imagine that I was on the Queen K in Hawaii and in, in the midst of the marathon. Same, I, I could be in the, the local pool here swimming and just could take myself and mentally and place myself in a race somewhere. So a lot of the times those moments you, you talk about, I felt a sense of, I don't want to say deja vu, but it felt like I'd been there before. So I was never really um, stressed or worried in that moment. I just felt like I had to make a decision and, and then you make it and move on to the next moment. So I think part of that too is moving on when you make a decision and not dwelling on whether it was a good decision or a bad decision. That'll become obvious soon enough, but obviously there's more decisions to make. So and like you say, some of those decisions happen quick. In, in the ultra endurance events, they, they play out a little, they can play out over time. Certainly the, the shorter races that I used to do early in my career, the sprint distance and Olympic distance races, there's moments where, you know, you have to make a split second decision and the more experience you have. And I always felt the more visualization or mental prep that I'd done, the better prepared I was for those moments. This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor, Form Smart Swim Goggles. They're more than a pair of goggles. Meet the world's most powerful swim platform. See yourself improve with Form Smart Swim Goggles, including a free one-year membership when you purchase your goggles for only $249 US dollars. They've currently changed up their offer where you can now get the goggles and you have one-year membership included for free. And if you'd like to continue with the membership going forwards, it's only $15 US dollars a month where you get access to their workouts, training plans, and custom workout builder. But you'll always have access to the real-time data in the goggles, so you never lose access to that. My favorite thing about the form goggles is having the instant feedback of what times you're doing, what stroke rate you're doing, and also the ability to see what your heart rate is. Because never before have we been able to have these immediate feedback heads up display 
where it's actually telling you what your intervals are. So when I wear the goggles in training, I like that I know my split for the first 50 and the 100 and the 150. So every single lap, I'm getting that feedback on what my pace is. And I find it such an important tool for being able to not only have different gears where you can switch between the different speeds that you want to swim, but it helps you develop those gears and it helps you intuitively know how fast you need to go to before you're going to blow up or before you're going to go a little bit too hard. So it helps you just get really good at judging your pace for when you do go to a race. And even if you're not wearing the goggles in a race, it's that intuition and that ability to develop your pacing that these goggles can really help with. To get your pair of form goggles and save 15% off, use our link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon effortless at checkout and that will get you 15% off your pair of goggles using our special link formswim.com forward slash effortless or the code effortless at checkout. It's such a key thing. I think for me personally, as a more as a teenager when I was competing in swimming, we used to do a lot of that. And I think just moving out of that more sort of structured in, environment and high performance environment for, as an athlete perspective, it tends to tend to think a bit less about it, but it's such an important thing to, to do. And the very best race I had uh, in my swimming career was one where 12 months out from the race, I, I visualized the swim I wanted mm. to do, how it would feel. It was a 400 medley and just I visualized every moment of the, the race. And when I would visualize that race, it, I could do it without a clock to within a couple of seconds when I'm playing through that, that race in my mind. So by the time I got to, to doing that race, as you said, it feels like I've been there before. And I think that brings a level of comfort and it, it just it, yeah. it brings a level of, yeah, it's just like, well, okay, I, I know what to expect. And yeah, and it's got that experience. It's like maybe it's your first Ironman World Championships, but if you've played that in your head, well, you, you could have been there. 10, 20, 30 times. And I think that brings that level of experience that you can't get without visualization in a way. And you hear so many of the top athletes talk about it. And did you yeah, have I think a particular, it's, sorry, did you have a particular gonna, way about going about it? The visualization? Yeah, I, I tried to make it as specific as possible. So I know before I ever raced in Hawaii, I went there 12 months before and trained <clears throat> for two, two and a half weeks just to get to, to know the course, the conditions just familiarize myself with the town itself, you know, be out on the course at the time of the day, the race would be at a particular uh, part of the course. So I knew where the wind would blow from, what the temperature, humidity felt like. So, you know, I, I think, you know, they talk about experience is important. I think part of that experience is the mental experience. So if, if I hadn't been to a venue before, I would often try and go there to do some course reconnaissance and it would just help me make those visualizations more specific and real. And I always felt, felt they were more valuable when they were in context, you know. And, and I, I often feel that's why I race better when I'd go to a race the second or third time because I'd just been there before. So I had another 12 months to, I guess, just visualize being on the course in that race. And I think I got that from, I remember speaking to a sports psychologist early in my, early in my career and she suggested that visualizations, yeah, the, the more real, the better, and the more specific, the better. But I also read, I think it was Mark Tewksbury, the, the great Canadian swimmer, Olympic gold medalist, a friend of mine who was a triathlete, actually an Olympic gold medal winning triathlete, Simon Whitfield, who was a Canadian. He gave me Mark's book to read. And Mark talked about, he, I think he won a gold medal at the Barcelona Olympic Games. So 
you know, 30 years ago now, uh, early 90s. But one thing Mark did was I think two, two years before the Olympic Games in Barcelona or maybe even three years, he took a trip over to Barcelona from Canada from his training base and they were still building the Olympic venue. But he walked around, he, he got to, he sort of got familiar with where the athlete village was going to be, where the accommodation was, the walk he'd have to take over to the pool, where the marshalling area was, where the warm-up pool was. And he had a good and a clear picture of that in his mind. And I just remember in his book reading about how when it came time for the Olympic Games, he just felt a calmness. Like you mentioned, it lessens the anxiety. He, he actually referenced that specifically. He said, I just felt very calm and very prepared like I'd been there before. I'd walked that walk from the Olympic Village to the venue. I knew where the warm-up pool was, where the marshalling area was. It just felt all very familiar. So I think there's a lot to be said for making those visualizations very specific and real and, and, and the performance impact that it has. Mm. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important. And like with, there's the sort of the, the four things you got. If you can get really detailed about the visual, so what's it going to look like, the audio, you know, what's it going to sound like, kinesthetic, what will things feel like, and then the, the smell, so V-A-K-S, facts. It's just a thing that I remind myself if I'm, you know, whether it's coaching or, you know, say for me, one of the things I've sort of visualized for a long time is, you know, what's my perfect day look like? And touching on each of those things, the visual, audio, kinesthetic, the smells, that really brings it to, to life. And that's how you can make it very vivid and, and basically live it when you're, not, when you're not there. And it's a huge thing to be able to do. And if you were to give advice to your younger self as a triathlete, are there any things that come to mind that you think would have benefited you? as a younger athlete? Um, what I would suggest is go and train with better athletes, which is something I did anyway. And part of that was like, I think I just, I didn't have a coach and I was hungry to learn. And I thought, what better way? And, and I lived in Sydney where some of the best triathletes in the world at the time were living. And in fact, some of the best triathletes in history were living. So I would often make the pilgrimage down from where I lived in the Western suburbs or the inner West to train in Southern Sydney with the likes of Greg Welsh and McKeeley Jones. And, you know, there were a lot of training groups down here so not only some world-class triathletes but a lot of like national level athletes and a lot of great swim squads down this way as well running groups a lot of professional cyclists live down this way when they're in back in sydney not in europe so you know one of those suggestions that i would make to go train with better athletes and also as a triathlete go and train with great athletes in the single disciplines i did i actually did i took my own advice on that one and I think the other thing is, and again, I think I did, it was just don't be scared to get help. Don't, don't, don't be scared to go and to surround yourself with the best athletes and the best coaches. And I mean, that, that's how you improve. For me, it was, very, it was very helpful to get a front row seat at how the best athletes at the time in our sport would operate day to day. The things they did, what set them apart. And part of what I saw very early on was you know, there were, there were good athletes who were very, very good athletes. There were great athletes. And then there were just all-time great athletes. And, you know, the ones at the top of the tree were never just coasting or going through the motions. They were the most driven and the most determined, the most professional, the hardest working, regardless of how many world titles they already had on the mantelpiece. They were not ever coasting or going through the motions. And I found that interesting. I... I I thought it would be the other way. I thought that the athletes in the pecking order below them would be chasing 
and matching their work ethic, matching their consistency, and and then adding to it. But no, the and I guess it was no surprise. That's why they were where they were. They were never professionally content. It wasn't just about winning for them. It was about their own performance and always improving. And I guess I I adopted that. I wanted what what I saw with the great athletes was that they were very consistent and they were consistent at a very high level. You know, there were there were a lot of athletes who could win a race and then maybe disappear for a few months or a few races or even a year or two, and then they pop up again towards the front of a race and then disappear again. But the great ones were always performing at a high level and always, you know, plus or minus one or 2% from the, you know, there was always a small performance variance. They were always, you knew what you were going to get with them. So that's, that became my sort of blueprint. I wanted to become a consistent high performer as opposed to just a race winner. Cause I thought there was a big difference. So any advice I would give to younger athletes now is when you get the chance to go into camp or to train with world-class athletes who have a lot of experience, go and do it. When you have the opportunity to go and work out and train with great coaches, go and do it because that, and you, you learn a lot just, just from watching and observing them. But the great coach will learn a lot, from, you know, with what they say to you at the start of the workout, during the workout. You know, the, the mental and physical cues that they give you to focus in on, the way they communicate, what they communicate, particularly with the coaches. It's invaluable. So that, that'd be the two things. And, you know, fortunately, I, I, I took my own advice. I, I did that. And I think a big reason was because I didn't have a coach. So I, I was trying to fast track my own learning. What I did have was I was partway through a physiotherapy degree and we were learning about the principles of endurance training, but also the importance of observation when learning to pick up motor skills and and I, and I thought, well, what better way than go to train with people? And I had the opportunity to do it in Sydney because some of the best triathletes in the world live here. So, yeah, I just turn up and jump in with the, the training groups are often quite large. And I just jump in and then start chatting to the athletes. And I was lucky a lot of them became good friends and took me under their wings. So that would be my advice to younger athletes. I think, I think older, experienced, accomplished athletes really like it when young athletes come up and chat to them because they've been in that place themselves so you know it was always my experience I was the athletes I reached out to were always very gracious and generous with their time and, and wanted to help so that would be some advice I'd give to my younger self but as I said I took that advice so it'd be advice I'd give to any young athlete just go and see firsthand what the great ones do there's a lot to a lot to learn yeah and you, there's a few things there like it that kind of work ethic can rub off on you mm. and you can just take that on when you're in that kind of environment, that kind of culture, then you're often forced to, to step up. And I look at someone like Dean Boxall up in Brisbane with his training group. He's yeah. just got an immense amount of elite, elite level swimmers there. And they're all forced to step up because there's so many of them at that level and, and often competing against each other as well. So that kind of in, environment is going to force you to, to, to perform or, or you're just not going to, to make it. And as you mentioned with the older athletes and, and even with the coaches, like those, those more successful coaches, athletes, typically they're, they're very willing to, to share their knowledge and to, to give their time and to help others because it's quite a compliment to be asked of your opinion or you know, what would you do in this situation? What do you think I can do? That's a real compliment to someone. It's not, mm. it's not the other way where you're taking from that person. No, it's, it's more you giving them the, the gift of being able to share uh, their knowledge, which which I think a lot of people 
enjoy to enjoy to do. I, I certainly know from my swim coaching experience, if anyone asked me, what do you think I can do here to save five seconds or 10 seconds? It's, it's like, to me, it's like, I, I'm really grateful that they've, that they've been willing to ask that because they see me as someone that can help. And it's, to me, that's, that's a big compliment. So I'm certainly willing to, to give my time and, and share my knowledge there. So it's people are more willing than you, willing to help than you quite often think. But as a, as a young athlete, I think of myself, like we're quite, quite afraid to actually do that and, and sort of put ourselves out there and ask for that kind of advice because yeah. um, we just think, you know, well, who am I to, to ask that? And I think of that with my coaching career too. It's like, well, who am I to, you know, to want to work with people and help them get better? It's like, I, I haven't earned that right. So it took me a while to sort of get the confidence to be able to, to do that. So yeah. uh, you, I think we need to flip that on its, on its head. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think most coaches, particularly part of their personality and, and the profile of being a great coach is you, you want to help, you can help and you want to help. So, but you're right. Some, it can be intimidating as a young athlete or, or a new coach to, to sort of, I guess, reach out and, but yeah, my, my, I, I had great experiences every time I did it though. So yeah, it was always worth putting myself in that uncomfortable position because yeah, it worked out well. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a testament to to that advice, isn't it? Yeah, with the success of your of your career there, what motivates you going forward? So, you know, you probably compete in some some trail runs and mountain bike races. You, you've mentioned as well as continuing to grow the, the coaching and and working with other coaches and athletes to continue to grow that. What's really driving you at the moment? Yeah, a few things. I mean, I've, I've stepped back into doing a couple of things that I didn't do during my career because there wasn't time or, you know, the, the danger factor, you know, you can't injure yourself doing things in the, in the pre-season or off-season or any time really. So, you know, as an athlete, you often wrap yourself in cotton wool. So got back into a little bit of surfing, um, playing the guitar and, you know, whatever level I do something at, I just, again, it's just to improve and to get better. That's the motivation. That's what keeps me coming back. So I've enjoyed getting back into those, those things definitely growing the coaching business. I think just, I, I really enjoy working with other coaches. It's a real collaborative, what we've got with Sensego. I don't really feel like I'm the principal. I mean, I guess I'm an athlete who has, who has had a, a good career and won some big races, but a lot of the coaches I'm, I've been fortunate enough to bring into the business are some of the best endurance coaches in the world. So I feel very lucky that I get to work with them um, and learn from them. And just being able to, to, to deliver a sort of a, a collective or a, or a collaborative of excellence um, and my brain's trust to, to the wider triathlon audience has been fun. Um, so I'm motivated to try and improve on that. Of course, we had a, a two or three year break over the pandemic where there were no events, but I think it gave us a chance to look at what we were doing previously and how we want to do it moving forward. So, you know, you can look at the glass half, half empty or half full. However you look at it, you know, you just got to move forward. So... Yeah, so the business still motivates me as well, and just being uh, being a great parent motivates me. To be honest, I love to spend a lot of time with my kids. I coached or helped coach both, well, two of my kids. I've got three kids. I shouldn't say both. Two of my my two younger kids' soccer teams this season. I started a run club at my youngest daughter's school with one of the other dads there on Monday mornings, just to get kids involved in running. Yeah, it's not like we were we were rolling out killer track sets either. It was more about just a little bit of technique and just having fun with it. Some running games, 
you know, we'd, we'd play touch football or, or frisbee and, and give the kids a few running drills to do. So, uh, yeah, just motivated by little things like that, giving back to the sport um, and to the community. I mean, I've, I've, I ended up moving to the south of Sydney because I was driving down here to train so much and my wife got a job at one of the big hospitals down here. She's been working as an emergency nurse at the two major hospitals in southern Sydney for the last 25 years. So we're firmly entrenched in the community down here. And, you know, I got a lot of support throughout my career. I mean, last weekend I was actually the guest at the local tri-clubs presentation dinner, and that local tri-club were a huge supporter of me during my career. So, yeah, I'm sort of motivated to give back to the community and to the people who helped me throughout my career. And, you know, I feel very lucky that I was able to race as a pro athlete for 27 years. I mean, that's a long, that's a long time to do anything. I think part of it was because I was, like you mentioned, in, in, internally motivated. You know, it was all about the journey for me. I, was, I think I was more obsessed with improving than I was with actually winning. I dreamt of winning, but I was obsessed with improving, which is why that even when I was able to win and lucky enough to win, I, I kept, I didn't feel like there was any need to stop. It's not like I'd fulfilled or check the box. Again, it was just more about the journey and, and trying to improve year on year. So yeah, I was very fortunate to have a long career and learned so much. So a lot of the motivation is now is just trying to find areas and add value in areas and different things, whether it be businesses or in the community where I can share that knowledge, share with that experience, share what I've learned. Yeah. And it's, it sounds like uh, you're able to, to do a lot of that. And I think for me personally, with having young kids as well, my goals have, have, have shifted a bit. I've started to realize more the value of community, having people around who you, who you like to be around, who, uh, who are experts in their field. And I, th- I think of their swim camps that, re- that we run, you know, quite often we'll bring two, three or four coaches along with me to our camps, either in the Maldives or, or Thailand. And when we get a good bunch of coaches together and we, we have 15, 20 athletes come in, it's such a great experience it's such a great week where yeah you, know, you can really create some magic with that sort of environment and i think it took me a couple of years to learn that you know it's really it's about the people that you're that you're working with like i i really value that and i value having good people who come in as, as athletes as well like that that is something really special it's not about necessarily about well i, I want to make sure that i can you know, give the, the very best knowledge and just really focusing only on the technical side of things. I think a large part of it is that that community, that social aspect of it, because when you get that right, the other stuff, the education, the technical stuff can really be played out in a way where people can take that on board a lot better. So if you have the right, I guess, mm. culture, the right people, that's the, a really great st- starting foundation for all the other things to happen. And it certainly took me a long time to to realize that. And I think some of that comes with experience, comes with age. Some of it comes with, with having kids as well. Yeah, it takes a while to, to learn these things, at least for me anyway. No, I agree. It's interesting, you know, growing old. I was reading this quote the other day, growing old is not for sissies. There's not too many good things about growing <laughs> old but physically, but what you do gain is better perspective on life, what's important. And, mate, I would agree 100% with that. It's, it's about the people you're on the journey with, the people. That's what elevates the whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, you know, they say surround yourself with great people and I, and I think it's one of the best pieces of advice you can have in any walk of life, whether it's at school, university, in sporting teams. And, you know, when you get a group of people together, you're right, who share values 
and it's just good people and the chemistry's there. It's, it's you get a you get a certain magic that's hard to that's hard to recreate. Yeah, it's absolutely right. So, Craig, for those that are listening, what's the best way to either get in touch or find out more about what you've got coming up with camps and get in touch with your coaches? Where's the best place to find you? Yeah, just head to our website. I mean, punch in Sensego or Sensego.co. You'll see our coaching platform will come up. And, yeah, we've got, we've got a few nice training experiences, training camps planned for next year already. We're going to be back in Mallorca in March, which is a beautiful one. One thing I like about Europe is they have what's called sports hotels, which are, I guess, just hotels dedicated to training camps. So, you know, they provide the right sort of food, good food and enough enough food. And that camp we run in Mallorca, the cycling there, for, for your listeners who, who know cycling, they will know that that's one of the best places in the world to ride a bike. So, and then and we're going to be running some camps over in North Carolina and Virginia in April and May of next year as well. So yeah, just head to sensego.co. That's our, our website and you see all the things we've got going on there. We've got some great partners and we've got some good good plans afoot. So yeah, check in and see what we've got going on. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate your time and for being on the podcast. It's uh, It's been great chatting with you and to watch your career for as, as long as I've been sort of involved in triathlon and, and watching it to to where you are now. It's It's incredible to have a 27 year career in anything like you mentioned but to to be able to do that in sport and to do that in triathlon is a is a real testament to i think your consistency the philosophy of your training and just you know, doing this stuff for, for life it's not just going hard for a year or two it's just having that that long-term plan and long-term thinking which i'm a, a big fan of so thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing everything you've shared today and I'd love to get you back on sometime to see what you're up to next yeah mate i appreciate the invite to come on and have a chat and I'd love to come back. So good luck. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlesswimming.com.